Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. With Chime Secure Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores with everyday purchases and regular on-time payments. Get started at Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Results may vary. See Chime.com for details. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. That's right. I am your good friend. I am. I got to meet some of our friends, had some friends we hadn't met yet out in Athens, Georgia. A lot of great Bulldogs turned out to go watch the baseball series against the University of Georgia. We're going to break that down today. It was my first time to go to Athens. Went by and saw the REM steeple. Not an REM fan, but how do you go to Athens without paying some type of uh, tribute to their contributions to rock and roll? So went and checked that out. It was a lot of fun. Hope that you guys uh, had a good time, too, while you were out there. Ball games withstanding. We played pretty well at times, but uh, didn't win the series. We should have won the series. We did not. But, uh, again, we're going to talk about a lot of that. But uh, I did like Athens. It is uh, now official. I have covered Mississippi State Athletics on all 14 SEC campuses. I called Dave Murray and said, Dave, I have completed the quest. I need my merit badge. Turns out there's not one. There should be. I'm pretty proud of it, to be honest with you. It's, uh, yeah, I, I've been everywhere. I, I will admit I am a little envious at times of people that are able to get out and go do things that I hadn't done. And so that was the one thing that was still on the bingo card. I have now punched that. So I can speak intelligently about every SEC campus in some respects. Went to uh, a couple of things, too, that I will tell you. Athens is a little pretentious. It's a little different. It is. I like it, but it's a little different. The, uh, the dining there is interesting, too. I always ask people because I like to eat local. Wherever I go, I like to eat local. I want to get the taste of the city, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's like I don't want to go – to Athens, Georgia, and eat Cracker Barrel. And I love Cracker Barrel. I do. I could eat uh, country fried steak every day, I think. But I said, listen, I want to go some places that are local. And so I found out about Cali and Tito's, and I went there. Went there before the ball game on Saturday, about two hours before. And the line was out the door. About 40 people out the door. And I'm thinking, man, this place must be rocking. Well, after about 10, 15 minutes of waiting in line, I was like, I can't do this. I think we've moved five feet. I said, am I going to get my food in time for the game? And plus two, you know, I was in Eastern time zone. I feel like I was going to be late everywhere I went. You know what I'm saying? It's just weird. It's like, okay, well, my computer says one thing. My phone says another. My heart and head say something completely different. So I was early everywhere I went because I was so worried about being late. Thankfully, I wasn't late anywhere. I'm one of those uh, that likes to get to the ball game hour and a half, hour before the ball game and get settled. But I went to Calientito's. It was good. It wasn't worth an hour. It took about 35 minutes to order and then 20 to 25 minutes to get my food. They were busy, but it wasn't exceptionally busy. It was steady. But it was good. Not worth an hour wait, though. Nothing's that good. I mean, honestly, I got to stand in line and then wait for my food. And then, you know, it comes and I had a, uh, a Cubano sandwich with no onions because onions are the devil's weed. 
And so uh, I wanted to have a great breakfast, too. I do that on Sundays. I've kind of got a regimented schedule. So Sunday, I went to uh, Mama's Boy, another good place. Again, way too long a wait. I can only begin to imagine how bad it is during football game days. And it's like, and honestly, they make you pay up front. And I always have this thing, too, about tipping up front. And I'm going to stop doing that. I, I was a waiter, too, in college, waited tables. I know how important it is to tip, but I don't like tipping up front because how do I know that I'm going to get quality service? I'm, I'm tipping ahead of schedule in anticipation of you providing good service. What if you don't? I don't get the money back. But uh, I know that most of those people are college kids just trying to make it, so I always tip. But um, to be honest with you, if I had known how long it was going to take, I would have just went to McDonald's. And then people are like, well, you know, it's a great breakfast. Man, it's breakfast, man. How do you mess up breakfast? They didn't. It was good. But again, I don't know that it was worth the wait. So good reviews of the food, not so much of the, the traffic flow, shall we say. And that's another thing, too. I went down and to tour downtown Athens. It's really hilly down there, but it's really cool, too. A lot of cool places downtown in Athens, and you, you hear so much about it at Five Points. You know, it's like, oh, you know, how good could it be? It's really cool. It really is. A lot of people out having a good time. And uh, I didn't go to 40 Watt. I had some people suggest that, but it's like I'm going to go lay down 30 bills to go watch a band that I don't know by myself. I don't know that I want to be that guy. That's just my personal opinion. But, uh, again, Athens, Georgia, pretty cool place. A little different, a little different. A lot of people, like, I, I've got dreadlocks. i got some other people out there that I don't know what they have. But it's much different than what I have. Very much a fashion statement. And I applaud those young people. Express yourself. Get out there and do some crazy stuff. Because one day you're going to have to cut your hair and get a real job. And then maybe, maybe, just maybe, when you get a little bit older, you know, you get a little more independent, maybe you can grow that hair back out, like I've done. Thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I love Bulldog Burger Company. Had some Bulldog Burger Company last week. I'll have some this week. That's one good thing about being back in Starkville. It's like, you know, you, I can get my favorites. I love to travel. I love to get out and go see things, but I love Starkville. And one of the best things about Starkville is Bulldog Burger Company. Right here on University Drive at Stark Vegas. I love it. You can have the spring rolls as an appetizer. You can have the Bryant. You can have the pimentology at bacon. You can have the smokehouse. Maybe you get that BLT salad. You can get it fried or grilled. I prefer the grilled. You may disagree, and that's okay. You can have what you want. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Starkville, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, and, of course, the brand-new one. Lake Harbor Drive there in the Roots and Flowood area. Go sure, be sure and check it out. You'd be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, our top story of the day. The Mississippi State men's basketball coaching search is over. Now, it didn't take long between the parting of the ways of Ben Howland and the announcement of Chris Jans. And I uh, want to give a tip of the cap to John Cohen and everybody involved in the administration that made this thing happen. It was pretty, pretty easy in many respects. I say easy. It's easy for me to say that. I wasn't involved in the process, right? But we go basically three days. We go, we announce a change on the 17th on St. Patrick's Day. And then we name Chris Jans our head coach on the 20th. So the whole process moved pretty quickly. And let's be honest, 
the only reason it took that long was because he was still playing the game. In the second round game, nearly pulled off a huge win and advanced to the Sweet 16. They had Arkansas down, just couldn't finish the deal. We've been there. We've been there. But I submit to you that New Mexico State and Christians plays a different brand of basketball that we do. I love the tenacity of that team. And they're fearless on offense. I love it. And the tournament has been great so far. It's like there are so many people, too, that have kind of taken a flyer on college basketball because we have not been involved in the NCAA tournament. But I don't know, man. That, that opening round of the tournament is just absolutely outstanding. And, like, look at St. Peter's, right? I mean, we're all rooting for St. Peter's now. The underdogs take down Kentucky, and then they win again. They're in a Sweet 16. How about that? Outstanding stuff. Hopefully we get there sooner rather than later. I am very confident in the hire, and I think it says a lot about our administration and John Cohen and everybody involved with the search that they were able to kind of handle this so tidy. Now, we have a lot of, you know, what I can kind of consider, you know, basketball insiders at jeanspage.com. We have a lot of people that, like, that's their favorite sport. And it's very frustrating for them that we're not better at it. And so I get it. I, I absolutely do. But one of the names that some of our you know, college uh, basketball followers have suggested all along was Chris Jans. I don't know who mentioned him first. It may have been Paul Jones. I don't think that it was. It might have been Paul. I know that uh, somebody mentioned that, and then I know Paul did some due diligence and had some information out there. And so a lot of people for the last couple of weeks have said, hey, if we get Chris Jans or Matt McMahon, we have hit a home run. Now, I would submit to you at this point, we've made the best hire in the Southeastern Conference. I don't think it's really debatable. And I think there are a lot of people out there in college basketball circles that would agree. Chris Jans, a guy that uh, has bounced around a little bit, but uh, has been an incredible coach. Let's, let me just read you a few things, too, in case you hadn't kept up. John Cohen had this to say. The Mississippi State family is thrilled to welcome Chris Jans as our next head coach. Throughout our thorough search, what stood out about Coach Jans was his culture of accountability, hardworking mentality, emphasis on player development, and vision for the future. Coach Jans is a proven leader and winner who is considered by many to be one of the top coaches in the game. He is a tireless recruiter, a brilliant X's and O's tactician, and his overall resume speaks for itself. In 12 years as a head coach at the Division I and JUCO levels, he won 20 or more games in all but one season. That is outstanding. He helped build Wichita State into a powerhouse in the mid-2010s where they averaged 30 wins each of the last four seasons, including their final four appearance and a 35-0 start in his final season. We're pleased to welcome him, his wife Sherry, his son Nick and daughter Maddie to the Bulldog family. There's no doubt that we have done exceptionally well here. Now, of course, the proof's in the pudding, right? I mean, you know, we hadn't had the press conference yet. That'll take place on Wednesday. Uh, looking forward to meeting Coach Jans. But here are a couple of things about the search I wanted to share. A lot of people out there have varying opinions. And um, one of the things that I want to say is that uh, can't we be happy? I mean, honestly, can't, can't we be happy? So we go through these processes. And, like, some people wanted to keep Doug Novak. I did not. I did not. And that's not a slide at Doug. I just felt like, you know what, hey, going and getting Sam Purcell is a better fit for us long term. Because the reason I say that is there's not an AAU coach in the country that doesn't know Sam Purcell. There are many of those that had no clue who Doug Novak is. And that's not a slide at Doug. It's just he's kind of, you know, in many respects, kind of a fish out of water. And I'm not being negative about him. He did an admirable job for us this year. 
But when you look long-term, we've got to have somebody that has recruiting relationships in the women's basketball community. And also, too, the ability to put together a staff. Sam Purcell, exceptionally, exceptionally well-known and liked uh, in women's basketball circles. Now, the same can be said for Chris Jans. You know, this is a guy, too. Obviously, I mean, his resume speaks for itself. I don't need to sell you on Chris Jans. What I want to sell you on is the fact that we have gone out and identified two individuals to lead our men's and women's program into a new era of basketball. I'm excited about both. Really, for the first time in a couple of years, I'm excited about Mississippi State basketball on both the men's and the women's side. Now, on the men's side, I understand that the university vetted about 40 candidates. 40. Not a dozen, not a half dozen. 40. We talk about a thorough search. There are a lot of people, you get in, you start digging in, say, okay, well, this isn't a good fit for us, and you move on. And, of course, the last couple of weeks, the search is primarily centered around three individuals. Of course, Todd Golden, who accepted the job at the University of Florida, uh, Matt McMahon, of course, from Murray State, who could be in the mix at LSU. They're going to have to pay him a ton of money, though, knowing that a postseason ban is likely on its way. And then there's Chris Jans. And so the thing that I pointed out after the first couple of days of the tournament, the thing that stood out to me is that we are on the right coaches. Dennis Gates is a guy that State obviously kind of kicked the tires with. He has now accepted a job at Missouri. Uh, Bob Ritchie was a guy that was an early favorite, and I still like Bob Ritchie. I think he would have done a great job at Mississippi State, too. The one negative is hadn't made the tournament. You know, we're, we're already there. We're already familiar with that experience. And so uh, he was expected to be the favorite to get the South Carolina job. Matter of fact, we've heard for the better part of two months that he is a lifelong South Carolina fan and that it would pretty much be a slam dunk if Frank Martin was not retained. Well, they didn't retain him. And now Bob Ritchie has withdrawn from the search in South Carolina, according to our South Carolina 247 sports expert, John Whittle. Pretty crazy stuff. The difference is we don't have to worry about that. You know, we've got the guy. And I think, honestly, I think if you polled most of the SEC, not that their fans should have a say in anything we do, I think most people would agree that our hire is better than their hire. I'm excited about it. I think you should be as well. Eager to meet Coach Jan's. Now, this is an important time in our history. I mean, it really is. This is an important time. And there are a lot of people out there, and I mentioned let's, let's be happy. It's like, okay, well, you know, John Cohen has kind of had a, uh, a learning curve at times when his company's higher. Sometimes it's the second higher that's the best hire. You know, everybody works through this. It is an inexact science. But the reality of it is I think we all feel better today about these hires and about the direction of our basketball program than perhaps we have in the last couple of years. You know, I, I go back to the Nikki McCray-Pinson thing, and I've had some people that have messaged me and said, hey, Steve, I agree, and others said, Steve, you're totally wrong about this. And you know what? That is completely okay. We don't have to agree in order for us to be friends. You know, I don't know that Nikki McCray-Pinson was a bad hire. Now, hear me out. And I've discussed this on the show before. I mean, pretty unprecedented circumstances that she inherited. You know, she's following a legend, the greatest Mississippi State women's basketball coach of all time, Vic Schaefer. And we've had, you know, some really good years. We had really four, five, six great years, a couple of those who played for a national championship. And we always talk about you never want to be, you know, the you know, the guy following the guy or the coach following the coach. So Nikki McCray-Pinson comes in with some really, really high expectations because we had grown accustomed to winning and winning big. And then she has to spend the first part of, of her tenure here recruiting her roster to stay. 
because nobody in our history has had to deal with the NCAA transfer portal the way that we do today. Then on top of that, it's learning to be a head coach. And, you know, listen, her resume, uh, again, speaks for itself. She had been a very well-decorated player in college. She was an NBA all, WNBA All-Star. She was an Olympian. She played for Pat Summit, so she knows about winning culture. And she gets a year, and then sadly some health concerns reemerge in her life. And so we wish her the best with all that. I'd like to get an update on that. If somebody knows, maybe reach out and let me know. I hope she is doing well. I, I thought it was very classy for her uh, to, tr- to tweet congratulations to Sam Purcell. And so, you know what, Mississippi State people are going to love you and you're going to love Starkville. That's very, it says a lot about her. But I don't know that we got a big enough sample size to really say, hey, she was a good hire, she wasn't a good hire. I think it was a, it was a very mediocre season that did not meet our expectations and we had a lot of problems. But I don't know if that can all be pinned directly on her. And so I'm willing to give a mulligan there. The Joe Moorhead hire didn't work out. And I like Joe a lot. I still like Joe. I still, Joe and I still message from time to time. Like Joe a lot, he's a great guy. I wish him the best at Akron. It just didn't work out here. And it wasn't just that he didn't win enough here. It's just that I, I don't know that Joe really got it. I remember sitting in the press conference after the Music City Bowl and we had lost to Louisville. And we were awful in that second half. People forget we had the lead at the half, but it didn't feel like it, but we did. But it felt like they had all the mojo. And then I remember, you know, Joe getting up there. And I had been on the Joe bandwagon. I was like, let's give him another year. It'll be okay. Back-to-back Egg Bowls. He's won. We get to two bowl games. Lost them both. We weren't prepared to play. But in year one, you know, we have you know an incredible season by Nick Fitzgerald, but Nick didn't fit the scheme. We go out and get Tommy Stevens, a guy that supposedly fits the scheme, and then he gets, uh, he gets injured. But the bottom line is Joe had his guy that knew his scheme, and we weren't able to execute the scheme. I don't know that the scheme works in the SEC, those long developing pass routes, and we just couldn't protect against these SEC caliber defensive end and pass rushers. It didn't work out. But the bigger issue with Joe was, you know, maybe things that don't show up in an interview. You know, how do you manage practice? How do you manage a locker room? How do you manage discipline? And all those things were lacking. And my hope is Joe will get that figured out and be better for the experience and have a great time there at Akron. Wish him the absolute best. Absolutely do. Great guy. Didn't work out for us. And, again, I commend John Cohen for making the call when he did. Let's just pull the plug. We know we've got issues. Got two-star players on offense trading blows that ultimately cost our starting quarterback, Garrett Schrader, an opportunity to play in a bowl game. That's the reality of the situation. It's not a good look for us. Just as embarrassing as it was to see Renardo Sidney and Elgin Bailey knock each other around out in Hawaii on national television. This was equally embarrassing. The only difference was there weren't cameras there. There weren't cameras that broadcast that nationally. Just as embarrassing, to say the least. Of course, there's the Andy Cannizzaro thing. I will continue to defend that higher. I think Andy was, without a doubt, a star rising in the college baseball profession. He had built LSU. He was Paul Maneri's right-hand guy. And he just had some failings away from the diamond that eventually creeped their way onto the diamond that hurt our team. That's the reality of a coach. You got to protect the brand. Andy didn't. I got no ill will against Andy. I think Andy is a guy, too, that probably looks at all this and realizes what he's lost. 
there were many people that said we had a national championship caliber pitching staff the last couple of years. We cashed in on that. Andy was a part of that. You know, that's the thing, too. I, I read with great interest at times people are critical of Chris Lamonis. And I, I don't fully appreciate that. I just I don't I don't see the same things maybe that you guys see, maybe because I'm too close to it, but I don't see it. Like I read about, well, you know, Chris Simonis won with other people's players. Well, Will Bednar won other people's players. Will Bednar is the guy that's the greatest postseason pitcher in Mississippi State baseball history, and Scott Foxhall is the guy that recruited him here. First recruit that Scott Foxhall saw as a Mississippi State assistant coach is Will Bednar. You know, Tanner Allen, Tanner Allen's an Andy guy. We got Tanner because we got Andy. Yeah, Rowdy Jordan was a John Cohen guy. That's right. That's how far back that thing goes. You know, Kellum Clark was the guy that committed to Cohen, stayed through Henderson, stayed through Caranzaro, and then gets here and uh, ultimately chooses to come play for Chris Lamonis. And so to, to undervalue Chris Lamonis as a recruiter is to basically admit you don't know anything about college baseball. And I don't mean that in a negative way. There's a lot of people that don't follow college baseball recruiting. Chris is a, a dogged recruiter and an incredible evaluator of talent. When you look at the roster that we have today, we've got a tremendous amount of talent, and we're going to talk about some of that later in the show. The reality of it is we've got some young guys that are having to, to, to you know, play key roles right now, perhaps before they're ready. But uh, we saw this weekend that we, we got some juice. We've got some guys, we've got a solid nucleus of players that are going to kind of move forward. But I submit to you, that this Chris Jans hire, I believe, will be as big as anything that uh, John Cohen's done. It's time to make the Humphrey Coliseum roar again. And that's, I think, the engagement between these new coaches and our fans are going to be a big part of that. I think you're going to want to come to ball games because you're going to want to support these coaches. I don't think they're going to keep you at arm's length. I think the biggest difference between Vic Schaefer and Ben Howen is that Vic made everybody feel like they were a part of it. Ben Howen didn't do that. Vic did. Vic pulled you guys in. Ben kept you at arm's length. If you ever gave Vic a microphone in a crowd, he was going to step up there and knock it out of the ballpark. Ben, it was more like a, it was more like a chore to do that. I don't know that it came naturally for him. And that's not necessarily to be critical. I mean, it takes all, all types of people. But um, the bottom line is, is that I believe we have two coaches now. They're going to be very engaged with all of you. They're going to want to meet you. They're going to want to invite you to come to games. It's a big part of it. You know, we've got a fan base that has grown incredibly apathetic when it comes to men's basketball. So Chris Jans has a lot in front of him. He's got to construct a roster, got to finalize his staff, and he's got to build some support within the fan base. And so I implore you at this point to continue to think positively about Mississippi State men's and women's basketball and turn out and support these coaches. I think it's incredibly important, and I'm excited to meet uh, Chris Jans. And uh, I love the fact that so many people now are kind of plugged in with college basketball. There are a lot of people that are like, you know what, hey, Steve, some of my favorite memories are going to Humphrey Coliseum and watching our guys play. We hadn't done that as much lately. And to be fair – we haven't given you guys a lot of opportunities to come where you felt we were going to win a big game. Yeah, you turn out for Ole Miss because you want to go back and talk trash to Water Cooler. And thankfully, we were able to do that one time this year. 
But I think, you know, Chris Jans is a guy, too. I, I think Chris will win some games that maybe some people don't expect him to win. That was really the, the hallmark of the Ben Howland era is that we never really had that signature win. We had a big win over Auburn here a couple years ago, and that's really it. We, we were really, really bad against the top 25. I've documented that here on the show. We beat Missouri, who was overrated. And of course, we beat Auburn. But uh, by and large, we just didn't have a lot of top 25 wins. I think Alabama was ranked this year, and we knocked those guys off. But I expect Chris to beat some people that maybe the prognosticators expect him to lose to. And that's how you cultivate support. It's one thing to have fan engagement. It's another thing to give fans something to be proud about. And I am fully on board with Christians, and I hope that you guys are as well. There are a lot of people out there that said, hey, why don't we go do this? Why don't we go do that? We, at this point, I believe, without question, have made the best hire of the SEC hiring season. And I think everybody's going to look back and say, you know what? Mississippi State did it right. They got a guy that was a good fit. They got a guy that fit them culturally. And they got a guy that's going to come in with a bit of a chip on his shoulder and get Mississippi State back to where they should be. We should be a good basketball school. Should we be a great basketball school? Probably not. But should we be a good one? Absolutely we should. And we should be in the NCAA tournament uh, on a regular basis. I'm not expecting us to contend every single year uh, for the tournament. But we shouldn't be an NCAA bubble team all the time. And this is a guy, obviously, that's got some extensive tournament experience. You know, ben Howen did as well. I think the difference is, is Ben is on the tail end of his career, and maybe he's already made his mark in college basketball. I think Chris Jans is still trending upwards. I think the trajectory of his career is much different. And I think he sees, okay, I finally got my big shot. Let's go take advantage of it. And so let's do our part uh, to support him and Coach Purcell as they begin to get men's and women's basketball at Mississippi State back to the level that we expect it to be. All right, let's take some time now and uh, let's recognize uh, our top 10 list for this week brought to you by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R, CloseWithBlair.com. Here's the deal. It pays to have friends, especially when you've got things going on that maybe you're somewhat unfamiliar with. You know, it's like you think, well, you know, I got to get a car fixed. I got to get this, got to get that. And the mortgage business can be quite intimidating. It really can be. You need a pint of blood, a note from your mom, a lock of your hair. All these underwriters require so many crazy things. It's good to have somebody that knows the ropes to help you navigate through that labyrinth. That's where Blair Chandler comes in. 21 years of experience in the industry. Top 1% close ratio in the country. Works for Fairway Mortgage, a company recently voted number one in customer satisfaction had the second highest closed volume nationally. So you're getting the best guy from the best company to do your work. Maybe you're looking to buy a home for the first time. Maybe you're looking to refi. Maybe you've gotten so overextended. You need to use your equity to cash out, perhaps to get some home improvement done or to consolidate your debt. Uh, With our economy, you never know what's going to happen with interest rates. I encourage you to take advantage of that today. Visit Blair at closetoblair.com or better yet, call or text him on his personal cell number, that's 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Now, I expect to get a lot of, of uh, response to this list. You know, on Mondays now, we're doing kind of a uh, top 10 list revisited and kind of retooling it a little bit. We're doing the top 10 albums from classic 
artist. We've done Aerosmith, uh, done a couple of others. Today, we're going to do Kiss. You wanted the best, you got the best. Kiss. Now, when I was a kid, Kiss is what kind of got me into rock and roll. Now, I don't mean radio rock. I mean the real deal. I had an uncle that was in a band. He had all these great albums, and uh, he had Kiss. And, you know, I'd seen Phantom of the Opera and all that stuff. I, I'd, I guess that's right. I can't. I think that's the name of the movie, but... Um, I'd seen all this stuff, and to me, Kiss were like superheroes. You know, they really ushered in a new era and a new look in rock and roll. You had a lot of people back in those days, you know, wearing a lot of jeans and rayon shirts and things like that. And all of a sudden, there's Kiss, all this makeup and, you know, the black hair and the wild costumes. And you wanted to be Kiss. And for me, Ace Frehley was, uh, without a doubt, my favorite rock star at the time. Space Ace is who he was. Got a chance to see him recently, and right after he finished the guitar solo to shock me, he handed me his guitar pick, and I have it. Thrilled to have it. First time I had seen Ace as a solo artist. Pretty incredible. Did a great job opening for Alice Cooper. So I have this list together. Kiss has 20 studio albums. 20. Ten of them didn't make the list. I'm not going to name those off because I don't want it to, to hurt the anticipation of the top 10. But I got a lot to say about this. Now, number 10 on the list is Psycho Circus. And we're going to go with the track Psycho Circus, the title track. That is the first album with all four original members since 1979. Pretty incredible to think about that. I remember when it came back, I was like, Kiss is back. It's in great situation. Ace and Peter back with the band. I put that album number 10 on my 10, number 10 favorite Kiss albums, and maybe it's because there's a bit of nostalgia, right? It's like all these guys are back together, and we can kind of enjoy the fact that this may never happen again in our lifetimes. All right, number nine on the list, and this album was huge when I was in high school. And that's the thing, too. We've got some classic Kiss, and then we've got like some 80s Kiss, and then we've got some more modern Kiss. But number nine for me is the album Crazy Nights. And I love the song Crazy, Crazy Nights. That is your number nine song, Crazy, Crazy Nights, from the album Crazy Nights. It is a song of empowerment. It is a song of inclusion. Uh, It's basically about the Kiss Army. It's like all these people try to put us down. And, you know, the the bottom line is we have the music, we have each other. And it basically pulls everybody in. It's like, you know, hey, people can think and do what they want. We're going to enjoy being together and celebrating rock and roll. I commend them for that. The great track on that album that didn't make our list today is the song Reason to Live, and that was in the age of the power ballad. And uh, Kiss had a few of those. This is a great one. Everybody needs a reason to live. It is an absolute great song. Number eight, a lot of people didn't really like this album. I absolutely love this album. Again, it's one of the more modern ones. came out in the early 90s. It's hot in the shade. And I'm going to, again, go with a power ballad here. And I have heard that Gene Simmons doesn't really like the song as much as perhaps some other people do. But I'm going with the Unplugged Forever. Forever. Great tune. Paul's vocal on this. Incredible. Yeah, here we go. More, more people that are fans of the song Forever. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I got some, again, got people I heard don't work at the house, you know. So dogs are not really big, fond of strangers. But... Um, that Hot in the Shade album, I think, was was a great one. You know, to be honest with you, I know some people that are big Kiss fans won't like it when I say this. I'm a big Kiss fan, so I think I, I can say it. 
there are some albums out there that have a lot of filler in them. This is one that I think is a good start to back. Uh, I love the cover of Bonnie Tyler's Hide Your Heart. Uh, I think it's a great song. I think Kiss was a perfect band to pull it off. And then, of course, there's the song Rise To It. All right, the number seven album on your list. We're going back to a classic Kiss album. And some of you will probably be disappointed I had this one this low. And that's okay. That's the thing about 20 studio albums. There are albums sometimes that find you at a place in life where they kind of resonate with you. This goes back to my childhood. It's the album Love Gun. I went with the song Shock Me because I am an Ace fan. But I also love so many things on this album. The title track, Love Gun, is great. Christine 16 is great. Plaster Caster, a classic song. I don't know that that song gets enough play, to be honest with you. I like Plaster Caster a lot. But Love Gun is the album. Shock Me is your number seven track. Number six, and people are going to say, well, Steve, how could you put this ahead of Love Gun? Well, I just like it a little bit more. How about that? It's as simple as that. The number six album on my list is Kiss's Asylum. Love the album. Uh, and if I remember correctly, let's see here. We go from Ace to Vinnie Vincent to Mark St. John to Bruce Culloch. I think that's how the order goes. It's been a while, so I thought about all that stuff. Uh, Tears Are Falling is the track to me on from Asylum. But I also like uh, All Night. That's another great track. Not a lot of filler on this album. I thought it was a great radio-type album, a lot of good singles on the album, and they only pushed a couple of them out there. There were a lot of single-quality tracks on the album Asylum. Number five, again, another classic Kiss album, going back to the Casablanca days. It's Rock and Roll Over, and one of the Gene Simmons penned classics, it's Calling Dr. Love is number five. But I also love Hard Luck Woman. And, uh, you know, Garth Brooks covered this song on that uh, great, Kiss tribute album that was phenomenal. If you don't know it, go check it out. Garth's version of Hard Luck Woman is really, really good. But to me, Rock and Roll Over is one. Sometimes it gets a little bit lost in the discussion, but Calling Dr. Love, it just has that great opening riff. And Gene, of course, sings the vocals. It's a great song. I think it's near flawless. Number four, again, sticking with some classic Kiss, it's Dress to Kill. Now, could have gone a couple different directions here, but I'd have probably been wrong. You got to go with rock and roll all night. That is one of the most anthemic rock songs of all time. I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. What's more rock and roll than that, man? But one of my favorite Kiss songs is it was actually covered by Skid Row on their uh, B-Side Ourselves EP. Is a great track called Come On and Love Me. It is one of my favorite Kiss songs. And the fact that I love it so much made this a little bit of a debate, but at the end, end, I said, there's no way I cannot include rock and roll all night. But there you go, Dress to Kill, number four. And, you know, that's the album where uh, they got the makeup on, they're all out there in their suits. Kind of a paradox in the picture. Kind of looks rather surreal. That's one thing, too, that Kiss is known for is album art. I mean, they just did an incredible job packaging themselves uh, throughout. That's one thing. Branding's always been kind of a Gene Simmons deal. All right, number three. The best modern Kiss album. And some are going to look at this and say, Steve, how do you have this ahead of a couple of these classic Kiss albums? Well, I just think this is one of those albums, too. I wanted to include some modern stuff. To me, this is the best modern album since the 70s that Kiss has produced, and that's the album Revenge. I think it's a great one from start to finish. I love God Gave Rock and Roll to You, too. 
Now, I've shared with this with you guys before. That is actually, uh, there's a story behind that song. You know, you guys know the Christian rock group Petra. Well, Petra coined that phrase, God gave rock and roll to you. Well, Kiss on Animalized recorded a track called Heaven's on Fire. Well, they worked out a bit of a deal. Petra did a song called Seen and Not Heard, basically to the music of Heaven's on Fire. And then Kiss recorded Rock and, excuse me, uh, God Gave Rock and Roll to You, which I think it debuted actually on Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey soundtrack. But Revenge, a great album. And again, it didn't get a ton of radio play, but this is one of those just push play type albums. I think every song on there is really, really good. Thus, it's number three. All right, number two, the one that started it all, the debut album for Kiss. You know, they were, uh, they were, they used to be known something else, as something else. Paul and, and Gene used to have a band called Wicked Lester. And a lot of the, the, the material for this debut album from Kiss was written as part of Wicked Lester. I think other than the song Kiss and Time, everything was kind of ready to roll and was the stuff they had been playing live for, for some time. Man, you can go so many different ways here with this album. It is a classic rock album. If you're unfamiliar, it's only like 35 minutes long. So you can plug it in and listen to all these great tracks. Because back in those days, everybody wrote music for the radio. And if you had songs over three minutes, you didn't get played. It was pretty rare if we ever got a four-minute song. Could have gone Strutter, could have gone Firehouse, could have gone Cold Gin. I went with Deuce because you know your man is working hard. He's worth a deuce. Number two, the self-titled Kiss album. But number one for me, and I think most people would agree, this is the definitive Kiss album. Now, you could make some arguments for what number two should be. I think all would agree that Kiss's Destroyer is the number one album. Could have gone a lot of ways here, too. Could have gone Bath, which I know that uh, Gene Simmons doesn't like that song. And in many ways, I think it showed the softer side of Kiss, and a lot of people didn't really like that. They didn't want it to be quite so sensitive. God of Thunder is a, cla- a classic song, and then Shout It Out Loud is another one. But I went with what I think is one of the most recognizable bass lines in the history of rock and roll. It's Detroit Rock City. Get up. Great tune. I love everything about it. There are a few songs in life that you look at and say these are perfect. This is one of them. This is a perfect song. I think many could make an argument this may be the best Kiss song. I think it's the best song on the best album in that Cover art, it's just, if you don't know that album, then I don't know what you've done with life. It is a tremendous album. So I know that there will be a lot of reaction to this. A lot of people will say, Steve, you blew it. You should have done this. And you know what? It's perfectly okay. That's the main thing about these top 10 lists that I love is it promotes dialogue. And there are a lot of people out there that may be unfamiliar with some of the music we talk about. And there are a lot of these young folks that say, yeah, I know Kiss. Yeah, I know this. But they don't really know Kiss. That's why I think it's so great for us that live through it. Those that loved it can share our experiences and our favorites, and I think it helps promote that band's material. And uh, Kiss, you know, not just Kiss as a brand, but Kiss is a incredible machine. And I don't just mean that from, you know, from a financial standpoint. I mean, they sell it everywhere. But to think about that most of their bigger hits – you know, are decades old, and yet they still pack out arenas. Now, uh, I've had some discussions. we got a huge KISS fan over at Gene's page, and he and I traded some messages. I won't put his name out there, because not that he's afraid of being a KISS fan, but I just don't want to reveal his identity on Gene's page to you guys here, try to protect those guys. 
But we told we he and I discussed Kiss last week. And that's one thing that so we talked about. One of the things that I kind of reject about the new Kiss is you got Eric Singer and Tom Thayer pretending to be Peter Chris and Ace Frehley. I, I just I don't I don't like it. You know, it'd be one thing if they were in the band and like having their own makeup. You know, when Vinnie Vincent came, you know, he was the lizard guy. You know, it's like you had other people kind of come and go. And the bottom line is, is that uh, you've got a couple guys that are great musicians, but they're kind of masquerading as other people. And, and maybe it's a petty thing, but because I was such an Ace fan, I just have a hard problem, a hard deal with somebody else pretending to be Ace, especially when Ace is still out there playing a great guitar and still singing at a good level and putting on great shows around the country. It'd be one thing if Ace couldn't do it anymore, but Ace is still out there doing it. And I uh, had a chance to see him recently Got my Ace Freely shirt, got a chance to get my Ace Freely pick, and uh, there was a part of me, I was really, really excited, because like, you know what, I'd, I'd never been that close to the one and only Ace Freely, and it meant a lot to me. So, there you go, there's the top 10 Kiss albums, my favorite songs from the top 10 Kiss albums, and again, there are 20 albums out there, so your 10 may, may vary from mine. I know some of you, uh, you know, there are some people that like the songs from the Elder album, I think that one's a little bit contrived at times i think your know, kiss was doing so great i think they pushed some albums out there maybe perhaps you know that were a little bit incomplete and i know that sounds almost sacrilegious but um you know just to kind of give you you know a, a little look look here at some of the you know the good stuff that's out there that maybe we didn't talk about you know that's um the songs from the elder is one of course i don't think there's any question that uh there are a lot of people out there that maybe don't, don't like that album as much as some other. But, uh, you know, Gene wrote The World Without Heroes, which is a great, great song. And uh, if memory serves me correct, it's actually on Gene's solo album. And I remember them, I remember when Kiss was on Solid Gold. Do you remember the show Solid Gold? Well, of course you do. Of course you do. And Gene sang that song on the show. Pretty incredible. So the ones that didn't make the list, Hotter Than Hell didn't make the list, even though it's got a, a couple of really good tracks on it. Dynasty didn't make the list. Unmasked didn't. Songs from the Elder. Creatures of the Night. Lick It Up, though that was a huge platinum album for them. And the song Lick It Up is a great one, too. Animal Eyes, of course, got a mention, but it did not make the list. And then there is the uh, the more recent album, Sonic Boom and Monster. Monster, I suspect, will be the last studio album that we have from Kiss. And um, yeah, it's one of those crazy things, too. And you think about this, like, you know, the last album from Kiss sold 200,000 copies in 2012. And there are a lot of people today that would love to push that kind of volume. But uh, the reality of it is, is like a lot of people just aren't going to be willing to accept this new version of Kiss as far as new material. They're fine to see the guys get up there and play the old classic songs. But, you know, Kiss has had one gold record, you know, in the last 30 years. And that was Psycho Circuits, of course, with the reunion of the original four members. And again, you know, you go back, you know, the, the, the only album with the last five besides that when it went gold was the album Revenge that we talked about. So pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff. Enjoyed doing this list. I love being able to do the research for all this stuff and uh, coming back and talking music with you guys. And so many of you that I've met out on the book trail or at, at ball games. And Steve, I love a top 10 list and impressed with your knowledge of music. Well, when you're passionate about something, I think it shows, and I'm passionate about music. So we'll be back on Wednesday uh, with a fresh list, with a more modern uh, artist. I think Roy already has some ideas for Wednesday, 
And uh, we always have the list. And so if you have an idea for the top 10 list, reach out, let me know. I'm on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. You can find Roy at Dogmatic67, and he's the keeper of the list. Sometimes it's better to go directly to him rather than the middleman. You can find him on Twitter at Dogmatic, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. You can find these great lists on Spotify under that same handle. And, of course, Izzy Mandelbaum does a great job of putting his stuff on Apple Music. And I am an Apple Music guy, so I don't get to listen to the Spotify list. I listen to Izzy's list. So there you go. We try to make it accessible to everybody and appreciate all of your support of the top 10 list. And again, thanks to our friend Blair Chandler at CloseofBlair.com. All right, before we get into breaking down some baseball, I want to go ahead and award our Prime Shrimp Player of the Week. And uh, it's going to be a little unorthodox. It's John Cohen. John Cohen is your Prime Shrimp Player of the Week. Because he goes out and gets two great coaches. And I think this men's basketball search, especially as other openings uh, came open, could have been an absolute chore for us. Could have been a bad deal. But in the end, we end up getting one of our primary candidates. And I think the guy that fits us the best. And, And John takes a lot of flack from some of our fans sometimes for some of the hiring stuff that we discussed. I think it's pretty safe to say at this point that John's done a good job with the hires on the basketball front. So, tip of the cap to you, John Cohen. You are our Prime Shrimp Player of the Week. Go to primeshrimp.com. And uh, listen, I'll tell you guys, too, I think my favorite flavor, because I've tried them all now, might actually be the Simply Seasoned. I like it. You know, I grew up – I grew up – I spent uh, basically 18 years in Louisiana, so I I feel like that I am pretty well acquainted with what's available as far as, uh, you know, the cuisine of the Cajun people. This one has just enough kick, but it's not overburdening. You know what I'm saying? It's like there are sometimes that you eat, and oh, it's just too spicy. That's not the case. You get enough spice so that you know that uh, this has been seasoned, but it's not something that's going to drain your sinuses for you, if you understand what I'm saying. So uh, you can, if you're like me, you can add Tabasco on it be glad you did. Uh, I like Prime Shrimp. Everything that they have sent me has been fabulous. And a lot of great reviews on jeanspage.com. A lot of people say, hey, Steve, I've tried the Prime Shrimp. It's really good. And it is. The main thing that I love about it, besides the fact that the food is outstanding, is the convenience of it all. It's so convenient. There are so many times I think, hey, hey, let's have shrimp. And then I think, man, I got all this stuff I got to clean up. It's, oh, it's, you got to drive downtown and you got to pick this stuff up. You got to come home. You got to peel them. You got to devein them. Not with prime shrimp. You know, guys, you could put on a pot of boiling water, go up and change into your lounging clothes and come back and drop that pouch of shrimp in there. And before you get settled, next thing you know, dinner's done. Ten minutes. Pretty incredible. Think about that. You get these great pouches sent directly to your home. They're well-packaged. They're well-cooled. So you don't have to worry about them being delivered in the morning. And by the time you get there that evening, you got a mess to clean up. Nope, not the case. They do a great job putting this together. Guys have been in business since the 1940s. They understand the demands and the expectations of those that enjoy fine Cajun cuisine. So, again, visit them at primeshrimp.com. And use promo code BONEYARD to save a little money on that. You'll be glad you did. I'm telling you, nothing is easier than this. How many times in life you said, hey, I'd like this salad is missing something. I wish I had some great shrimp, but I don't want to go to all the trouble. You don't have to. Just drop them in that pot of boiling water. Next thing you know, you've got a meal ready in just a few minutes without all the prep and cleanup and fuss of normal shrimp dishes. Again, that's primeshrimp.com, promo code BONEYARD. If you don't love it, get your money back. All right, let's uh, thank our good friends, too, 
at uh, Campus Bookmart, too. They're going to bring this sex- next segment of the show to you. Uh, Campus Bookmart, longtime sponsors of the show. I love those folks. You will, too. Uh, standing man doing a good job. Back, Almost back in the fighting shape. I told you guys Stan had fallen recently, leaving uh, Duty Noble Field. Uh, broke his arm in a couple places. and uh, But you can't keep a good man down. Standing man still going to work every day, doing a great job. Standing man, uh, Miss Kathy Brown, perhaps the best buyer when it comes to Mississippi State merch. If there's anything out there with maroon and white that she thinks you guys are going to like, she's going to get it. Does a great job finding great things to purchase. And the lovely, talented Susie, kind of the straw that stirs the drink downstairs. Service with a smile every time. If you can't visit them in person, check them out on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That's right, it's BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. And that'll get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. Any order less than $50, absolutely incomplete. Again, that's campusbookmart.net. All right, let's take a look back at the weekend that was in Mississippi State Baseball. Not a great weekend for us. I'm, I'm not waving the white flag or anything yet. I mean, many of you are like, well, I'm ready to give up. Well, go ahead, give up. It's fine with me. It make any difference. It's like, well, Steve, is it time to give up? No, it's not time to give up, but you are welcome to give up. I'm not going to give you any code of conduct. You can do what you want to do. I think we're going to be in a regional team. Do we host? Probably not, but I think we'll be a solid number two somewhere, and I think that they're not going to want to see us coming because we are going to get better as the year goes on. I think this past weekend is actually evidence of that, even though we dropped a series. One of the things I want to say, too, you know, we, uh, you know, Georgia had a huge weekend attendance-wise. You know, Friday, a lot of tickets were bought and unused. We had a lot of maroon in the stands on Friday. It was more of a partisan crowd Saturday and Sunday. But here's the thing, uh, other schools, you know, if you are a fan of another school, or whatever. Let your administrators know when we come to town, we're bringing, bringing big crowds and big trucks, and we need you guys to be able to handle the parking. We really do. It's like uh, people are surprised that we show up. Our folks are going to turn out. Our people are going to come and support the Diamond Dogs, and in some cases, we're going to take over your stadium. We didn't Saturday and Sunday. We did a good job on Friday, but we did have a very vocal contingent of Bulldog fans there uh, throughout the weekend. But uh, yeah, we're gonna come. We're, we are we are we are the we are the the show. When Mississippi State goes on the road, we're gonna bring fans. May even be some fans from other schools that would want to watch us play because we're so dead gum cool. But uh, the reality of it is, we drop a series. And if you're gonna win one, I agree with KP. You got to win the last one. Now I give Jonathan Cannon from Georgia a lot of credit. This guy is projected by many to be a first or second round draft pick. I thought he lived up to the billing. That said, I thought we got the barrel on the ball several times and we just couldn't get it to fall somewhere. And even though we only got three hits in the game, it felt like we were in it until the bullpen collapsed in the eighth. And uh, I know that's what many of you are wanting to discuss, and we're going to talk about that. But let's let's start out, of course, State being a visiting team. Uh, we bat first. But right out of the gate, we go one, two, three, but we're putting the ball in play. We're putting the ball in play. And I'm thinking, okay, we're being aggressive. And with a guy like him, you probably have to be. You got you to go out there and kind of dictate terms to him. Well, we do go one, two, three. Bottom of first, Presto goes one, two, three, and he strikes him out swinging. So based on the first inning snapshot, who would you rather be? The team making contact or the team striking out swinging? And those last two strikeouts for Presto? Three pitches, 
three pitches. Pretty incredible stuff. So again, one, two, three, I'm thinking, okay, we're going to be okay. This is going to be a, a low-scoring ball game. We just need to get something to fall and string a few hits together. Maybe we can get out of here. Because I felt like my honest opinion was I was more worried about losing Saturday, and I felt like we would win on Sunday. I felt like our best chance to win the series was to win Friday and then win on Sunday. And I know Friday nights in the SEC are always a dicey proposition, but I felt really confident about Sunday. Top of second state goes one, two, three again. It's a case swinging, a ground out, ground out. A lot of ground outs to first in this ball game. And a lot of that's because he was getting in the kitchen. We couldn't keep him out of there. He was doing a really good job, especially against our left-handers, getting us inside, and we're rolling over it. You know, we're not able to get the bad head out, a point of contact issue, to say the least. So we're grounding out to first regularly. Okay, bottom of the second, Connor Tate homers. We hung a breaking ball there on a 2-2 count, and it was a situation, too. We jumped ahead 0-2, couldn't get him a chase. He fouls off a pitch and then hits a tank to center field. To make it 1-0, even then I thought, okay, we're okay. Wagner strikes out swinging. We get a pop-up to short and a foul out to right. So, again, you give up the home run, but through two innings, you've only had one ball that there was really any solid contact. And, unfortunately, it's the only one that uh, that mattered because it was a one at the ball game. Well, now all of a sudden, I think Cannon kind of figures some things out here. I think Cannon gets better, and I thought Presto kind of began to struggle a little bit here. Cannon gets this one, two, three, a ground out to Combust, and then Jaeger and Leggett strike out swinging. So now all of a sudden, we're the ones not putting the ball in play, and they are. Bottom of third, they do a good job here. You get a single second base. Gonzalez fouls out, and then Anderson flies out to right. So, yeah, there's a there's a runner on, but we have a chance to get out of the inning here. We get a ground ball to third, and Cam throws it away. Allows the run to come around and score it. It's now 2 nothing. And, again, your pitcher rolls up a ground ball. you got to be able to play defense behind it. Cam will tell you the same thing. Cam did not have a great weekend defensively, at least Friday, Saturday. He was much better on Sunday. But Cam will tell you, he knows. He didn't, need, he didn't need you guys to go get on Twitter and say, hey, you should have made that play. He knows. He knows. And we should always be supportive. That's not to say among ourselves we can't vent and be a little frustrated. But, again, you never should go get on social media and tweet at a player on our team or anybody else's unless it's something of encouragement. That's just my opinion. You can have a negative thought about it, but there's no need in expressing that, making somebody who made a mistake feel worse. We get out of the inning with a uh, strikeout swinging. So now it's a 2 nothing ball game. Even now I'm thinking, okay, we're okay. We've gifted them a run. We're okay. We've hung a breaking ball. We've made an error. We've kind of gifted them two runs here. But let, the guy's got to hit it out of the ballpark too, right? But the reality of it is we allowed a little separation kind of through some self-inflicted wounds. All right, top of four, we go one, two, three again. And in case you've noticed, we hadn't had a base runner yet. Jess Davis grounds out to first. Again, left-hander. Rolls it over to first, strikeout swinging, and then guess what Hunter Hines, left-hander, does? Grounds out to first. And, again, that's Cannon getting in the kitchen. That's Cannon jamming us inside, not allowing us to get the bad head out in front. And so those balls are strikes. We just can't do anything with them. Bottom of four, Presto, one of his better innings of the ball game. One, two, three inning, gets a pop-up to first with strikeout looking, and then a routine fly ball uh, to center field. So, again, we're in the ballgame. It's a 2 nothing game. We're thinking, okay, we just need something good to happen. Well, top of five, something does. We've, we finally get our first base runner of the day, and a really nice job of hitting here by Logan Tanner to take this ball the other way, doubles it into the right field, right center field gap. 
And then Luke Hancock grounds out to second. Again, left-hander rolling one over to the right side. But we move the runner to third. And now you're thinking, okay, it's a 2 nothing ball game. We just need to elevate a baseball here or push a ground ball to the right side. We'll get the run in. Now it's a 2-1 ball game. It could change the complexion of the game entirely. We don't even get the ball out of the infield. And these are the things that, you know, great teams do that average teams don't. Kellum Clark strikes out swinging, and, we, and there we just need Kellum. We don't need the two-run bomb. We just need a routine fly ball to right. And, the, the, again, Cannon, give him credit. He gets behind 2 nothing. He throws a called strike. We foul one off. Then the count runs full, and we strike out swinging. So we had some opportunities there. We just couldn't do it. And then Combus fouls out to first base, and then it's over. It's still just a 10th and ball game, but the one run there really could have changed the complexion of things. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Bottom of five. And this is when they, they, they again, but get some separation here. And, again, you know, Preston takes a lot of this on himself, and it's really unfair. Uh, we get a foul out. McAllister pops up behind the plate. LT does a good job shedding the mask, making the catch. We get a strike out of Rogers. Now, all of a sudden, we've got Gonzalez up here, who is the second-team catcher that um, UC bats in a nine-hole. We get up 0-2 on him, and we can't finish, and he slaps a single to left. And then Anderson comes up, the leadoff hitter, on an 0-1 count and uh, hits a home run to center field. Now it's a 4 nothing ball game. Now it's time to get concerned, right? Because now it's not just going to take a couple swings or, you know, you, you get a guy on or whatever and you work him around. Now all of a sudden they've got some separation. And the way Cannon was pitching, you know, the prospects of us coming back to win this game were not very good. We get Cole Tate to ground out. That ends the frame. Uh, top of six. R.J. Yeager grounds out the first. Leggett strikes out swinging. Jess Davis singles to center field. Really nice job of hitting here. And then Cam James strikes out swinging. So we've only had a couple base runners in the ball game. Still not really to mount any serious threat. Bottom of six, Presto comes back out. We battle and work the count full here and ended up walking Corey Collins to give them a leadoff base runner. And then Connor Tate doubles to left. They hold Collins at third. Niners runners at second and third with nobody out. And this felt like, okay, they're setting us up for the kill shot right here. But Preston Johnson did not yield. Strikeout swinging, strikeout swinging, strikeout swinging. And all of those very aggressive. He gets ahead 0-2, gets a foul, strikeout. Two fouls, strikeout. And then a called strike, a foul, and a strikeout. So, you know, it's like, yeah, we got in the jam here, 
but our guy proved that he could kind of pitch himself off the hook here. So you, you have the leadoff walk, you give up the extra base hit, you hold the guy at third, but yet you don't give up any runs. So again, while the prospects of us coming back were not good, at this point Preston is pitching competitive baseball to keep us in there, and the prospects of a comeback still exist. All right, so bottom of seven, excuse me, top of seven, we come up, and um, again, it's a one, two, three inning. Strikeout swinging, fly out to right, fly out to right. And that's Hines, Tanner, and Hancock there. Bottom of seven, we bring in Cam Tuller. And uh, one of the better innings that Cam's had this year. And, you know, he's been up and down, got off to a bad start, and then he definitely did some pretty decent things against Texas Tech. We need him. We can't give up on him. We need him. We need him to figure it out, and it appears that he is beginning to kind of figure some things out. He gets a one, two, three inning, gets a K, a ground out, another strikeout swinging. So, again, we're, we're staying right there. Top of eight, we kind of get some things going here. Another chance for us to break through here and make a game of this. Clark is hit by the pitch. Combus flies out to right, then Jaeger centers to center field. Now you got runners at first and second. We elect to pinch hit here and bring in Von Siebert uh, in place of uh, Tanner Leggett. I didn't think it was a good at bat. Uh, I'll be honest with you. It's like when this is my notes, I go back to this. We get down in the count, 0-2. We take a borderline pitch for a ball. And then he comes right back and throws almost the same pitch in nearly the same location, and we take a call strike three. The point that I make about that is it's too close to take. You already get the, the benefit of the doubt on a borderline pitch. If he comes back with the same pitch, he's not going to give you two of them. He's just not going to do it. And I actually thought Scott Kennedy was behind the plate. I thought Kennedy was outstanding. I thought it was the most consistent zone we'd had all year. Jaeger goes to second, and Clark goes to third on the pass ball. Again, here we are. We just need a big hit to get back in it. You know, at this point, you know, a, a single to left is going to score two runs. And then Davis grounds out to second, so we strand the two runners there. Bottom of eight, we make a bunch of defensive changes here. Bring in Mikey Tepper. Mikey has had better days, and he will have better days ahead. This was not a good day. This will not be on the Mikey Tepper highlight reel. Uh, we give up a single to right, then we walk and walk and walk and now we have walked the bases loaded and walked in a run now it is now five nothing nobody out bases loaded we bring in Colchitum, and that's a tough spot to come into right and what do we do we uh we get a fielder's choice and uh there's an error you know it's like they scored a fielder's choice but um you know we end up basically not making a play cam makes a mistake here it was uh Ground ball to him, and we get to throw it home. And to throw kind of tails towards first base a little bit. We pull LT off the plate. He can't hang on to it. You know, it's not a routine play, but it's one that Cam should make. Gives him a run. The inning continues. And then we balk in a run. Makes it 7-0. We get a ground out. Fielder's choice allows another run to score. It's 8-0. Gonzalez then doubles to center field. Two more two more runs come in. Or one runner comes makes it 9-0. And then Anderson, who had a good weekend against a single to center field, two more runs score. It is 11-0 at this point. And some people were saying, hey, let's make a change. Well, at this point, you don't want to burn any more arms in a game that's got away. You just need somebody to mop up. And in this situation, that was Cheatham. And he needs to work. He does. We get a case swing and a ground out that's short to get out of it. But at this point, game's over. We all know it. Top of nine, State goes quietly in the ninth. Uh, we pinch hit Downs. He grounds out to third. Hines grounds out to second. And then uh, Logan Tanner, who I thought really battled 
This game is over. It's 11 nothing. There's two outs in the ninth. The chances of us mounting the comeback are insurmountable. But he battled and battled and battled and battled and battled. And, you know, gets it to a 2-2 count. Fouls one off, fouls one off, takes the ball to run it full. Fouls one off and then grounds out. I think that's leadership. That's the thing we talk about. Oh, this team needs leadership. Those are the moments that you show that you're ready to lead. He could have easily just gone up there and taken three hacks and called it a day. Try to hit a home run. If you don't hit one, then the game's over. Nobody, nobody's out or anything. But instead, he gets up and LT really battles and battles and battles. And I think that kind of set the tone for the next day. I really do. All right, let's look at game two. A game we should have won. No question about it. A game we should have won. And uh, anybody that paid attention knew that we didn't play well, but yet there we were with six outs to go with a chance to win the game. As bad as we had played and as bad as we had pitched it, we had a chance to win that game. And we blew it. We did. And this is one of those games you're going to look back later on. We're we're in that discussion, you know, do we travel, do we host? Those are the kind of games come back to haunt you, especially with RPI Georgia has. They've been huge to win this series. All right, State, of course, visiting team. We open up again, top of first. And again, being aggressive here. We actually, uh, you know, to be quite honest with you, uh, I thought they did a pretty good job coming out kind of attacking us. It's a first pitch strike to the first three hitters. But we get a ground out, a pop-up, and a fly out. We're putting the ball in play. And we barreled some balls up on Friday night. We just couldn't get a lot of them to fall. There were a bunch of balls that we hit right at outfielders. And to give them credit, there were a couple plays that weren't at outfielders. They were athletic enough in the outfield, especially the Allen kid that played right at times, ran some balls down in the gap that ordinarily would have gotten down. All right, bottom of first, uh, Parker Stinnett gets himself in a little bit of trouble here. We get a strikeout looking on three straight pitches, which really elated the Bulldog dugout. And it's back-to-back walks with the number four hitter up, and we get the double play. He grounds it short, and we turn the 6-4-3 double play. So you're kind of dancing with some danger here, but you're able to roll up the ground ball you needed to get out of it. First SEC start for Parker Sinet. Top of second, we come out again ready to go. LT doubles to center field. We just Remember, we just talked about that. That last at bat that he grinds out in game one, in a game that's already decided. Here we go. We're leading. Double center field, takes third on a wild pitch, and you feel like now we're going to, you know, we got to run our third, nobody out. We ought to be able to get a run home. Kellum Clark walks on four, excuse me, Hunter Hines doubles to center field, and now the run is in. Kellum Clark then walks, which puts runners at first and second. And Brad Cumbus singles to center field, loads the bases. So now the bases are loaded with just one out. We got to get a run home, right? Well, they gift us one. It is a wild pitch, allows everybody to move up a base, makes it 2 nothing. Jaeger strikes out swinging, and then Lane Forsyth. Really good job here. This is a good at bat. Because you have to be opportunistic when there are situational hitting opportunities. So this is one of them. Lane Forsythe, one of the better at-bats he's had this year. And he's had some good ones as of late. You can tell the guy is really working hard in the cage. We just need, like we talked about in that, that 2 nothing inning earlier, we just need to kill him, Clark, to elevate something. Well, Forsythe does. And we haven't really elevated a lot here. We've hit some line drives here. But uh, Forsythe works account, works account, works account. Actually gets down on the count one, two, fouls the ball off, takes a couple pitches, and then nearly hits a home run. It's 350 to left at Foley Field. If we're playing somewhere else, it's probably a three-run bomb. He rips it out to left, the runners tag, and Cumbus 
goes third, and Kellum Clark scores. It's now 3 nothing. So great job of situational hitting there by Lane Forsythe. You want to get productive outs, especially from the bottom third of your order, we do right there. Davis then grounds out second to end the inning, but it's 3 nothing. We jump on them. Bottom of second. Uh, Stinnett, actually, pretty decent inning this time. We get a strikeout. There's a single to first base, and this is the ball that just kind of went off Luke Hancock. It was a smash kind of right at him. You'd like to see him make the play, but you can't blame him that he doesn't. Then Rogers flies out to center, and McAllister grounds out to short. So we get around that. It wasn't ruled an error, and I wouldn't have ruled it an error, but it's probably a play that Luke will tell you he should have made. Uh, top of third, again, we get a chance here, and these are the things that come back to haunt you later in, in ball games. Cam James gets a four-pitch walk. Hancock then flies out to left. Now, I'm going to take some issue with this. I love Luke Hancock to death. I think Luke is a trained assassin at the plate. But after you just watched the guy ahead of you walk on four straight pitches, you don't need to swing at the first pitch. And I know we're trying to get some guys going. And I notice with these left-handers sometimes, too, I'm sure we're saying you get a first-pitch fastball, you go up there and jump on it. Well, we try to take it the other way. And I think that was probably part of our game plan here is you'll see a little bit later in the inning the same thing happens. Logan Tanner, a right-handed hitter, walks on five pitches. And then Hunter Hines comes up, and again, they've walked two in the inning, and the one guy who swung at the fly, the first pitch flew out. Why not take a pitch here? Well, we don't. Hines again tries to take it the other way, and we're out. And then Clark flies out to right field. And so I think here – and, again, it's easy with the gift of hindsight to have, uh, you know, all this vast knowledge. But we have two walks in the inning, and the, the two hitters that follow the walks are one pitch outs. you got to take a strike here. you got to sit here and say, you know what, this guy's struggling to find a plate. I'm not going to help him out. I'm going to make him throw me a strike, and then the bat's going to begin, especially with a guy like Luke Hancock that is such a good two-strike hitter. I don't know if that's – a player decision or if perhaps it was part of our game plan I suspect it was but I think maybe you kind of tailored that a little bit especially when you've got a three nothing lead and you've got a chance to tack on early in a ball game let's not gift them out uh, bottom of third Parker had some issues this time too and they finally break through but but here's the thing we probably still should have been able to get out of this Acton walks we get a ground out to second uh, we, we just couldn't you know there's a ground ball there and we weren't able to get two we have to make the play at first. Cole Tate flies out to right field, and then Cowan singles to right, and uh, they score. It's a 3-1 ball game. Then we walk again and uh, ground out to second. But reality of it is, is you know, when you're getting, you're getting the ground ball there and you get a chance to get out of it, you got to make the play. We don't, and well, lo and behold, what happens, they score a run. You know, we talked about the previous game. It's 2-0. You get a run going. It changes the complexion. Well, this, I think, tightened up the game a little bit. You start thinking, well, they're going to sneak back in it. Uh, they make a change here at pitcher and bring in Polk. I was not impressed with Polk. Uh, I thought he was tipping the change up, and I think the Bulldogs kind of figured some things out with him pretty quickly. We had a chance here to make this an even bigger inning than it turned out to be. Uh, but it's an 0-2, excuse me, 0-2. It is a two-out rally for us. Compass and Jaeger both fly out. And then Forsyth walks. Again, another good at bat from the kid. It's a five-pitch walk, and there were times in his career that uh, he would struggle to let you walk him. Well, then Davis walks. So now we've got two walks and uh, two and three hitters coming up. Cam comes up and takes it the other way. And when Cam is doing well, 
when Cam is seeing the baseball well, he's not just a dead pull hitter. He's a guy that will hit it where it is and take it back to where it came from. And that's what happens here. He singles to right. Davis takes third, four size scores. Now we've got the run back. It's a 4-1 ball game. And then Hancock smashes a single to first. And then, excuse me, he didn't smash it. He cued it. That's right. This is the one I forgot my note here. He kind of got jammed a little bit, but it rolls as a slow roller by the mound. The first baseman ranges off, and there is no play to make. And then Davis scores, makes it 5-1. to one. At this point, I feel I'm pretty good. LT strikes out swinging on a full count. And, again, this is, again, it's a 3-0 count here. I know he's a leader, but it's a 3-0 deal. I know we got to get the big hit here. But I don't know when you have a pitcher in distress here that has walked back-to-back hitters and then given up singles. So four consecutive guys have reached. You know, I know you take your bat up there to swing, but on 3-0 count, I'm taking a pitch. I'm taking a pitch. We end up striking out swinging. Again, and that's not being critical of LT. I think LT is actually playing pretty well on the weekends. Um, we're getting there for sure. But, again, we scored two runs. Could have been a bigger inning. Bottom of four, and this is when uh, things kind of fell apart for Parker Sinet. We walk, and we get a ground out, and we it's crazy. We, um, we throw the ball away. Uh, we, we committed an error here. Next thing you know, it's, a, uh, it, it's not really Luke's fault. Because you got the runner on. He gets a hard one hopper to first. He steps on the bag and he throws to second and really gets kind of unlucky here. It hits the runner. Now you got to clear there, but you know, chances are you're not going to hit the runner. We do, and then he goes around to third. And so it's kind of an unlucky error there. It was actually the right play for Luke. Maybe we just didn't clear enough ground for the throw. But nevertheless, you got a runner at third, and McAllister flies out to left. They're, they're again, good situational hitting, makes it 5-2. Then there is a walk and a walk and a walk. And that's the thing you think about here, that, you know, with Stinnett. It's okay, yeah, you kid, you got a three-run lead. You have two outs in the inning. Let's just go throw strikes. You get the nine-hole hitter up, and then you walk him. So we walk, the bases loaded. I don't know what happened with Parker. But that's one of those things you got to be able to power through. Yes, this is an error that's unlucky, but it's just a one run. You still have a three-run lead, and then we just lost the release point. I don't know what happened. We just absolutely struggled. And of those three at-bats, those, those three walks, we do one strike. It's a 1-1 one, one count, and then it's three consecutive balls, and then eight. So 12 of 13 pitches were balls, and 11 balls in a row. You talk about... When a guy loses it, he loses it. He did. We bring in Pico Calm. Pico goes up a center to center field. It allows a run, a couple runs to score. Now it's 5-4. But we get Connor Tate to get out. So we do our best to kind of mitigate the damage. You escape the inning with the lead. But, again, it's self-inflicted type issues here. You got to get out there and throw strikes. You have to. Top of five, they change and bring in Marsh, who did a decent job against us. Kind of a hitch in his delivery. It's like he has this little shaking thing he does. He's a little bit different. I can see how that would be a distraction to the hitter. But the guy has a plus fastball, too. Hunter Hines flies out to right field, gets ahead 2-0, and then uh, we end up flying out. And then Clark hits an absolute tank up the hill and right. It's a 95, 96-mile-per-hour fastball. He turns it around. He is an elite hitter. Guys like Kellum Clark don't come to college. I mean, the fact that we have him here is huge. People forget that. 
You know, it's like once they get here, you're like, okay, well, there are guys. But Kellum is a guy that ordinarily would be in the minor leagues right now. But he's here and, uh, and emerging as a star for Mississippi State. Now it's a 6-4 ball game. So we get one of his runs back. Compass grounds out to third. Yeager flies out to center. Bottom of five, we get a 1-2-3 inning. And Cone doing a good job here. Ground out to third. Strikeout swinging. Ground out to second. We're right back in the, in the dugout getting ready to swing. We don't do anything with it, though. Strikeout looking for Forsyth. Davis strikes out swinging. And then Cam James pops up the right field. And at that point, it kind of felt like things were shifting. It just kind of felt like, I don't know. It, it, to me, it was this weird feeling in the ballpark. It's like, you know, we needed we needed a clean inning. We got one. And we weren't able to kind of pick up where we left off, even though we had the top of the order come up. Because Lane had had some good at-bats. And Jess Davis, I think, is really emerging as your leadoff guy. I think he will be there for the foreseeable future. All right, bottom of six, we come back out, and Pico just absolutely loses it. Single to right, and there's the fielder's choice. We make an error. This is that ball that rolls back up the middle. I actually think it's it skinned the mound and uh, kind of took a funny bounce. Lane's at least got to get the runner at second, though, right? You, you at least got to make a play there. We're kind of pushing ahead to get the double play. That's the first error of the year on Lane Forsythe. The first. It's like, if I'm not mistaken, I looked this up because somebody brought this up about how many errors he's made. I think he finished the game the year last year with 20 consecutive games with no errors. And then he begins this year, and he's played, what, you know, 13, 14 games, and he has one error. The guy's an elite defender. So, I'm not, I mean, yeah, it was a big play in the ball game at the time that ultimately cost us. But I'm not going to sit here and, and – mischaracterize Lane Forsythe. That guy's an elite shortstop. Is he offensively wanting to be? No, he's not. That's a work in progress. But to suggest he's not an elite shortstop defensively is uh, just not accurate. And that's not a matter of opinion. The numbers back that up. All right, so now it's, uh, you know, you got some guys on base here. Uh, Anderson is then out at first on the sag bunt. Pretty good bunt there. We make a play there. Now it's runners the second, third one down. We need a punch out here. Doesn't work out. Wild pitch. Allows the runners to move base. Now it's a 6-5 ball game. Cole Tate comes through with a single. It is now tied. And at this point, I think we were all really nervous about what was going to happen. Georgia wasn't done. We walk Collins, and we walk Connor Tate. And, again, it's these walks. We get in some trouble, and it's like all of a sudden we give up a big hit, and we're scared to compete. That happens with young guys. You can't be scared to get hit. I mean, that's the law of the jungle, right? You got to be up. You throw your best stuff up there. If they hit it, they hit it. But you can't walk people. All right. So we bring in um, Brandon Smith. We give up a single to right field that allows Georgia to take the lead. There's a K looking. Then there's a double to left field. It is now a 10 6 ball game. This is that play, too, where we get a fly ball to left. And it was not a routine fly ball by any stretch of the imagination. Again, it's 350 to left out in Foley Field. Cumbus is on his horse, running, 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 running. It might have actually overrun the play. And we, we, the ball drops and three runs score. You make either of those plays. You make the Forsyth play. You make the Cumbus play. This ball game is a completely different deal. Completely different. All right, top of seven. We had every opportunity to quit. Our kids could have said, you know what? It's just not our day. Let's go to the house. Let's get back to the hotel. We'll try again tomorrow. They didn't. And that's one of the things we talked about all year is, you know, getting the clutch hit. Well, here they come. We got some clutch hits in this inning. Hancock opens with a double to right field. Really struck the ball well. 
Logan Tanner then walks, and again, another great at bat by LT. This thing works, I guess, nine, ten pitches. Great job. Gets down one, two in the count, and then battles it on and gets the walk. And that's sometimes, too, the better part of Aller is being able to take a walk. Sometimes being the hero is taking what they give you rather than hitting a tank. Hines strikes out swinging, and then we're thinking, okay, we've got a couple guys on, but uh, we got to make some things happen or we're going to be in bad shape here. we got to find a way to kind of chip away here. Clark walks. Again, sign of a, of a maturing hitter here. He gets ahead 2-0. We take the strike, string, swinging strike, and then we don't chase, and now all of a sudden bases are loaded with one out. You're thinking, we need to get the big hit. Cumbus comes up, and we talked about Brad before. Brad comes up in these situations a lot. Cumbus strikes out looking here. Really battled there, just couldn't get it done. Ends up taking a fastball for a strike. And that's a, he's supposed to be a big fastball hitter, and he is. This situation didn't work out. Well, Jaeger picks him up. First pitch of the bat, it's a grand slam to left. Ties the game at 10. And that's the thing you start thinking, oh, my gosh, as bad as we have played, here it is. It's right here for us to take it. Aaron Downs comes in and strikes out swinging. And, and again, another quality at bat. Bottom of seven. We go, they, get, they go one, two, three. We get Acton to strike out, Anderson strikes out, and then to, take grounds out to second. So quick inning here for Brandon Smith. And we're thinking, okay, let's go. Let's go. We've got all the juice now. And, you know, what's the best thing that happens after a big offensive inning? is you go out there and get them one, two, three. We absolutely did. And I thought, at this point, we're going to find a way to win this ball game. As I said on Twitter, it's a six-out fight now. Let's go get it. Well, we got top of the order up, a lengthy at bat, but then Jess Davis strikes out swinging. Cam James strikes out swinging. Or, excuse me, Jess struck out looking. And then Luke doubles to right field. Now, all of a sudden, the go-ahead run is in, in position to score here. They walk LT. Uh, they didn't walk him just for the fun of it. They walked him to set up the lefty-lefty matchup. And then Hunter Hines fouls out to the catcher. Big moment, the ball game there. There will be times, Hunter Hines, you're going to be in that situation. He's going to come through for us, as he did on Sunday. Bottom eight, you know, we had our chances there, but we think, okay, let's just get back in the dugout here. And then Collins, Corey Collins just ambushes a fastball, makes it 11-10. Strikeout swinging, ground out to third, and then a fly out at center field. And you're thinking, all right, we got to scrap something together here, or this game's going to be over. All right, so Kellum Clark strikes out looking. I thought it was actually a bad call. Uh, we had Scott Klein behind the plate, and the thing about Scott Klein is uh, the strike zone varies from inning to inning. And this ball was up and in to Clark, and he, he calls him out. And Kellum had something to say about it. I wouldn't advise that. Um, but it was a bad call. And it's, it's for both teams. I'm not in any way trying to suggest that State was cheated by officiating. Scott Klein is just kind of renowned as a guy that he's consistently inconsistent when it comes to calling balls and strikes. I hope the SEC's decision to use TrackMan to improve the quality of our balls and strikes will start with Scott Klein and Perry Costello. All right, well then, just when it seemed all is lost, Brad Cumbus comes up. And Brad actually gets down in the count 0-2, takes a strike, fouls a couple off, and gets a ball. And then he hits an absolute tank to left field, and off the bat, your Bulldogs are pouring out of the dugout. Again, these situations just tend to find Brad. And here he is coming through with a big hit, arguably the biggest hit of Brad Cumbus' career 
uh, in the regular season. You know, I know he had a – there was a couple of games last year where he got – he had a, some leadoff doubles that led to uh, game tying or game winning situations. But it's a huge at bat here on the road in the SEC in a game that we haven't played well. And Cumbus has still got us alive. RJ follows with a single left. So now all of a sudden you're thinking, hey, we got the go-ahead run on base with less than two outs. Leg strikes out looking, and then Davis singles to left. Now we got two men on. Cam James comes up, and guess what happens? They walk him on four pitches. So the bases are loaded in the ninth inning, and Luke comes up. And again, I go back to this situation, too. And again, I'm not being critical of anybody. I'm just making an observation. We just watched Jake Gowen come in, or Gowen come in, and walk Cam James on four pitches. The bases are loaded. All the pressure is on them. We've tied the game, and we swing at the first pitch. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't get it. I just don't. And, again, I'm not saying that's bad on Luke. I'm not saying that's bad on Jake Gotro or Chris Amonis. I To me, situational baseball, especially in a pressure-packed ninth inning, I'm going to make that guy throw me a strike. Again, that's just my observation. Maybe I see it differently than everybody else, but that's how I feel about it. When I have brought, when a reliever has come in and thrown four consecutive balls, I'm making that guy throw me a strike, especially under that situation. And a guy like that that's struggling so much with those strikes, he might wall pitch you a run in, right? Maybe. Well, it doesn't work out. It is what it is. And then uh, Hancock flies out at center. And, again, I'm not being critical of Luke. I love Luke. Luke's one of my favorite Bulldogs. I just think in this situation here we got to be a little more patient. Let the guy come to you. Let the game come to you. Bottom of nine, and this is when it ends, McAllister is out at first. Oh, excuse me, Roger singles to right, and then McAllister sack bunts him around the second. So now the one run is in position. We bring in Cam Tuller, and what does he do? We get a walk there, and then there is a pass ball as a part of all that. So we, we intentionally walk Anderson uh, to load the bases. So now there's a force in the base. we got to get a ground ball. We bring in Jackson Fristo to try to get that. Lo and behold, there is a center to center field, and they walk it off uh, 12 to 11. This is one we let get away. And it's not just one segment of the team or one, one personnel group. Uh, bottom line is we blew it. We blew it. And there's enough blame to go around. You field a couple balls, you win the game. You don't walk a bunch of people, you win the game. You get a couple more base, hit, base hits, it wins the game. We had our opportunities. Simple as that. It didn't boil down to one play. It was a multitude of plays. It boiled down to one run. And if we make any of those plays, we're sitting here today talking about winning a big road series at Georgia. Yeah, but Mississippi State pitching really struggled to find his own 12 walks, and it seemed like all of them scored. I know they didn't, but it felt like it. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by Portico. We'll talk about the Bulldogs' big win today. Uh, winners, winning is what we do. Winning is what we do. So we're going to talk about our, our buddy Brooks Bryan. The guy that has been to Omaha a couple times. I got to know what he's doing. Brooks is a part of this great group bringing its wonderful residential development to the greater Starkville area, Portico. Very easy to find. You take the uh, you take the turn. You take the turn off of 82 on a 12 like going to campus. The very first ride is Pat Station Road. They'll take you to Portico. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Very easy to find. Close enough for convenience. Quiet enough to have a life. You're not on the busy side of campus. Very, very easy to find. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, every size home for a growing family. Maybe it's your ballgame weekend retreat. Maybe it's your future retirement home. Either way, Portico has something for you. 
Reach out to our friend Brooks at 601-416-8075. Again, at 601-416-8075. Phase two under construction right now. So you can have some say in picking out your lot and your house plans. So take advantage of that opportunity now. You'll be glad you did. Make Portico your next move. All right, as you can see, we're going to run over a little bit today. I'll try to get through game, uh, game three a little quicker, but uh, I make no guarantees considering that we scored 20 runs in the ballgame. Um, Zach Neff behind the plate. I, I like Zeff's strike zone. I thought he did a pretty good job. And uh, there are times he gets tight, but it's tight both ways. All right, State leads off one, two, three inning for us. It's a strikeout swinging, strikeout looking, ground out the second. Interesting, too, that um, they elected to basically start their closer. He basically served as an opener, some. We talked about that, Garrett Brown. We talked about that on the show before. Is that essentially he is kind of an, can be an opener for them? He is considered their best reliever. Our bottom of one. Kate Smith, actually, get, they're getting some good contact here. It's a ground out to first, a single to right, single to right. We could have folded. We don't. We get a case swinging, and then there's another strikeout. We throw him out at first. And so we kind of pitch around the damage there. Top of second, uh, LT walks. Again, I go back to that at bat. You know, he, he's not doing the selfish things. He is doing what it takes to move the lineup forward. Uh, then goes to second on a wild pitch. Hines flies out to right. And then Tanner advances the third on a sack fly. So, again, an opportunity here for us to manufacture a run without the benefit of a hit. Exactly what we do. Exactly what we do. We get a ground ball on the right side from Kellen Clark. Same situation occurred the previous game. We weren't able to execute. We do here. It's one nothing. Cumbison flies out to left. One of the few times they're able to get him out on the day. Bottom of second, Georgia comes right back. There's a double from Rogers. McAllister flies out. It's in the run of the third. We walk Gonzalez, which is – I think a mistake. I don't think that guy can hurt you. And then Acton doubles to center field, and uh, the two runs score. It's a 2-1 ball game. That's a nine-hole hitter coming through there uh, with a big hit. Anderson grounds out in third, and Colt Tate strikes out swinging. So it's 2-1 Georgia after two. Top of third, Yeager grounds out to third. Leggett flies out to right. Davison singles to center field, and I do believe he is emerging as your center fielder. I think, that's, I think that part of the lineup is now settled. Cam James in singles to left field and really just kind of pulls it uh, through the left side there. And then lo and behold, uh, Jess tries to steal third with two outs and gets picked off. So a rally ends here because of a base running blunder. And just as I praise Jess Davis, he makes the mistake there. Bottom of third, Georgia probably feeling good about life at this point. Life was about to change. Ground out to first, and then Connor Tate singles. Then there is the walk to Harbor, and that was one, two. We just couldn't finish there. Single to left field, drives in the run to make it 3-1. McAllister then goes on a fielder's choice. We force him, and then Gonzalez flies out to end the inning. So now we're down 3-1. To be honest with you, I thought, you know what, maybe Cade just doesn't have it today. I mean, there were times he couldn't finish hitters, and I thought, well, maybe maybe, maybe he's just not have, have, having a big day. And he didn't have his best stuff. But he really did a good job kind of grinding through here. Top of four. Luke grounds out to first. And then Logan Tanner reaches on an error. You got to make him pay for that, right? Hunter Hines then walks. Works account. Good job here. Clark strikes out looking. They make a pitching change. And then Cumbus hits the line drive off the pitcher. For a second, I thought they were going to come out there and take a look at it. And that ball was absolutely smoked. I wouldn't want Brad Cumbus hitting me with a baseball. Now, all of a sudden, bases are loaded. 
again, we need a big hit, right? We need the two-out rally here. How many times have we gotten the bases loaded and not been able to get the two-out hit? Well, here we go. R.J. Yeager singles through the left side. Two runs score to tie the ball game. And just when you thought, okay, all right, at least we're even. Tanner Leggett, one of the best at-bats he's had this year, pulls a 2-2 pitch into left field, and he really turned on this one. And two runs scored, made it 5-3. They bring in a new pitcher who promptly hits Jess Davis, and then they walk Cameron James. So the bases are loaded again. Got a chance here. They bring in former Diamond Dog Davis Rokus that uh, gets a fly out from, uh, from Luke to end the inning. But four runs home for the Bulldogs in the inning. And I felt that we were an angry team. And I thought once we kind of got even here, there was a lot of juice in the dugout that maybe perhaps I hadn't seen the rest of the weekend. I really thought we had a determined approach to plate. Bottom of four, it's an infield single after getting up 0-2. Then there's a single to right field, and that runner's at sack first and second. And this is when I thought Cade Smith finally said, guys, enough. Enough of this. Enough. We finally got the lead back. I'm not going to sit here and give it right back to you, Georgia. You get Tate to strike out swinging. We get a line out, a little soft liner that uh, nearly turned into a double play there. Uh, Jaeger grabs it, and the, and the runners are able to scurry back, and then Tate strikes out swinging. And that at bat, we had him struck out two pitches before. It was a Zach Neff, love you to death. That was a terrible call, an absolutely terrible call. Allowed the bat to continue, and then what happens? We get a strikeout, swinging. So we're out of the inning and back in the dugout, preserving a two-run lead. Top of five, State begins to kind of tack on a little bit. Tanner flies out to left. There's a walk to Hines, a walk to Clark. You got to make them pay, right? Well, Brer Compass does. Comes up in a situation with ducks on the pond, singles to center field, drives in a run at 6-3. Got a chance here to make some things happen. Wild pitch. Allows Cumbus and Clark to both go to, to uh, second and third with two outs. Jaeger had already flown out prior to that. And then Leggett grounds out the shortstop. He got the big hit the last at bat, not this time, but again, we're tacking on here. Kate Smith comes out, goes one, two, three. Fly out, fly out, ground out. Let's go back and hit, guys. And, and hit, we absolutely did. Uh, they brought in this kid, Poindexter, who was struggling, and now he might be considering doing something else with life. But, uh, so he gets Jeff Davis to strike out swinging. Then Cam James singles to right field. And again, when Cam's going good, he's using all fields. Luke Hancock walks, LT walks, and then Hunter Hines hits the first pitch over the right center field wall for a grand slam. Now it's 10-3. We talk about the big hit. There it is. Kellum Clark walks, Cumbus and singles to center. And then Jaeger strikes out swinging. Okay, so now you're thinking, okay, this thing's about over. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Pass ball, moves the runners up. They walk leg. To load the bases. And again, here we are needing a big hit. And what happens? Jess Davis just basically dumps it in a great adjustment with the bat here. It's like he's fooled on the pitch, but he's strong enough to just kind of lift it over the third baseman. Kind of falls in no man's land. All three runs score. It is now a 13-3 ball game. Cam James then follows with a single right back up the middle, and Davis scores. And it's now 14-3. And again, there's Cam using all fields. They bring in Nolan Crisp and then gets Hancock singles. And then we get, there's another pass ball. It's pretty crazy. And then LT flies out the center. At this point, the game is over. I know they're thinking, oh, Steve, no lead is safe. 14-3 and the fact that Georgia had no pitching left, the chances of them coming back in this ball game when our bullpen was after we set up pretty well was pretty non-existent. And again, Kate Smith said, nope, not today, guys. One, two, three inning, fly out to center, fly out to center. 
and a fly out to left. So he, the final eight hitters that Cade Smith faces, he retires in order. Top of seven, a bunch of defensive changes for Georgia. Uh, Hunter Hines strikes out swinging. Clark flies out to left and encompass Homer to center field, and it was an absolute tank. 112-mile-per-hour exit velo. Jaeger doubles to center. Leggett then walks, and there's another wild pitch. And then you got runners at second and third. Just need the hit there. Davis couldn't come through here. Uh, fly out to center. But it's 15-3. to three. Bottom of seven, we bring in uh, Brooks Auger, and we hadn't seen him all weekend. I think he is emerging as one of the guys we can count on. That said, we walked the first guy, but it's like an 11-pitch at bat, and he just couldn't finish him. You, know, you get to a 3-1 count, and it's like six consecutive foul balls, and then we finally kind of – I guess you just kind of – you punt. And then Collins flies out to left. They ground out to second, and then we get Harbor to fly out to center field. And we're out of it. Top of eight, we come back and put on some more runs. And this was really good to see. We've had some complacency at times later in ball games when we have leads. It's good to have some killer instinct. And it's Cam James getting it started. Single center field. Same guy that you guys were cursing on Friday was leading the way on Sunday. That's how baseball is. Best thing about it, you get to keep playing. Hancock then walks on four pitches. LT strikes out swinging. Hunter Hines then walks after a lengthy at bat to load the bases. Clark is hit by the pitch on a 2-0 count, which might have been better than uh, throwing a fastball across the middle. So there's a run in there, makes a seven, excuse me, 16-3. Cumbiston flies, flies out to right fields with a sack fly. The run scores 17-3. Jaeger comes up with a three-run shot to make it 20-3. Forsyth comes in, and again, I've mentioned last couple of weeks he's had some really good at-bats. Singles to right field. Really good job going the opposite way there. And then we, we have uh, Skinner come in, and God bless Brown Skinner to death. This was a non-competitive at-bat, absolutely non-competitive. All right, bottom of eight, we bring in uh, – excuse me, we, uh, we stick with, um, with Brooks Auger here, and it's a one, two, three inning. Strikeout, strikeout, pop up to second. A non-competitive inning for Georgia. So great job by Brooks Auger, top of nine. We come out – thought we were going to put on some more runs. We start pinch hitting a little bit. Slate offered singles to center field. Hancock pops up to short center. LT strikes out looking. Von Siebert walks. And then uh, Kellen Clark flies out to left. And uh, he did a pretty good job hitting a couple balls to the left field. Didn't have much to show for it, but he still stung those balls pretty good. Bottom of nine, we bring in Jackson Fristo. And, again, I, you know, maybe this is his role. I don't know. Strikeout swinging, strikeout looking, strikeout swinging, uh, hitting low to mid-90s on the, on the gun. And a great job there for him. So let's go back real quick here and look at some numbers before we get out of here. Uh, Brad Compass on the day. Four for five, three RBI, three runs scored. Incredible. Hunter Hines goes one for three, has three walks, and scores four times. Pretty incredible. Cam James, four for five, two runs, and the one RBI. Jess Davis, your leadoff guy, two for five, three RBI. You know, and again, I think that's, that's pretty much settled now. So you look at the Bulldog bullpen. As bad as it was on Saturday, it was equally as good on Sunday. Three hitless innings. We allow one base runner, Brooks Auger, the guy that he just simply couldn't finish. Couldn't get the guy to chase. He walks. But uh, two innings for him. That's the one walk, two caves. One walk and two caves. And Jackson Fristow strikes out the side. 142 pitches for Mississippi State. 229 for Georgia. Pretty crazy. It's incredible how life works, too. They dropped a pop fly early in the ballgame. And then they walked 13 hitters. It's, it's like the reversal of fortune between Saturday and Sunday. So, 
Not a great weekend. But I think we have found some things. I think we have awoken some things within ourselves. And I think R.J. Yeager is a big part of that. I think Jess Davis is a part of that. And you look at the fact that Cumbus and Clark playing really well right now. Cam starting to play pretty well. Logan Tanner starting to play. I think you're beginning to see this offense come together. I do. And, uh, of course, the game tomorrow will likely be rescheduled. Uh, Chris Monas and I actually talked about that uh, on Sunday. You know, it's, we've got some flexibility. We can move that back. So the game is scheduled with Southern tomorrow. That's Southern University out of Baton Rouge for Tuesday at 6 p.m. I suspect that will get moved to Wednesday. It'll be a Johnny Holstaff day. And then we'll welcome Alabama to town this weekend. Looking forward to seeing you all here back at the Dude four times uh, this week. I want to thank you guys again for your support of all the books. Dogpile still on the Mississippi bestsellers list. We're not number one this week, but that's okay. We've already been there a few times. Uh, very grateful for that. If you're looking for books, you can find them at great bookstores all over the great state of Mississippi. Um, and you can find a lot of books of mine at dogpiledebook.com. I encourage you, as always, go check out that website. Blooms of Oleander, of course, available through Amazon and where great books are sold throughout the state of Mississippi. Looking for Stark Villains gear? Many of you are. I had multiple people this weekend down at Athens say, Steve, where can I get Stark Villains gear? Easy, starkvillains.com. Easiest thing in the world. Everybody should have a Stark Villain shirt. You'd be happy you have one. All right, that's it for today. Thank you guys so much for your support of the Boneyard all these many years. Be sure to check out all of us over at jeanspage.com. Back on Wednesday, either previewing the Southern game or recapping the Southern game, one of the two. But uh, the Southern Jaguars, kind of the class of the swag for the last uh, couple decades, man. So, uh, you know, we had them in a regional here a couple years ago. It's, it's not it's going to be the typical midweek game. Uh, we need to go out there and play well, of course. But the uh, reality of it is it's always about us. It's not about our opponents. And I believe that we talked about being close. I think we're, I think this week, this week is going to be a big week for Mississippi State baseball, one way or another. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we're friends and enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.